This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company. Making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Show Up Dad. This podcast is created for hardworking fathers. At The Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. Today's guest is Jim Morris. Jim was a high school science teacher and coach in West Texas who miraculously made it to the major leagues at the age of 35. His his life story made somatic history with the heartwarming and unforgettable Disney movie, The Rookie, starring Dennis Quaid. Jim pitched two seasons for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, reaching speeds at 102 miles per hour, and chose to retire to raise his children. Jim and his wife, Shauna, have raised five children and live near San Antonio. Since 2000, Jim has been highly sought after motivational speaker, traveling the world, inspiring audiences to follow their dreams and never give up. Welcome to the show up, brother. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Jim. Dude, your story is amazing. I, I was watching that movie the other day with my, my children, The Rookie, and uh, it was so inspiring. I was just so stoked to have you come on here and be a guest with us and just uh, talk to our listeners and, and just have you open up and share your story with us. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But uh, like always, Jim, can you give our listeners a background story about you and tell us a little bit who you are, where you came from, et cetera? Yeah, military brat. Uh, born in San Diego, uh, moved constantly as a kid. My father was physically and verbally abusive. Number one, I was never supposed to play sports outside. I had asthma. Within 24 hours, I had pneumonia. But sports was what identified me as a kid. And everywhere we would move, I would show up where kids were, show them I could throw the ball hard, and I had a team full of friends. Never had to say a word. And so as we move, sports became me because in between those white lines, I could be the kid I was supposed to be if for only a few hours at a time. And baseball was my love, man. We lived in California when Vita Blue was a pitcher and I wanted to pitch just like him. There's only one problem. I'm not Vita Blue. And <laughs> Vita Blue is Vita Blue. And I threw one ball over the backstop and it was time for Jim Morris to be Jim Morris. But I love sports because I think it, it coincides with life. Mm -hmm. And 
we're trying to do something to accomplish something and the, the better, the more quality people you have around you, that's the quality you're going to have. Mm -hmm. And so if you surround yourself with the best, you're going to be your best. And if everybody had the same talents, this would be a pretty boring world. And so in baseball, you got a pitcher, catcher, you got infielders, you got outfielders, everybody's got their specific job. But within that, you have teamwork. Mm -hmm. And everybody has to do that job to make the team win. And so for me, baseball was my love and my passion. So for 15 years, I watched my parents argue, throw, hit, and curse, and do things you promised never to do. And at 15, they did me the biggest favor they never knew they did. They sent me to my grandparents' house in Brownwood. And so I finished school at Brownwood High School. Our football coach had won seven state championships, 400 wins, the high school coach. And he taught us it doesn't matter how big, fast, or strong you are. If you have a better plan and you have more heart, you're going to win. And we won a state championship at that attitude. And we weren't the biggest, the fastest, or the strongest, but we won because we knew what the other team was going to do before they did it. And, you know, the team that we beat for the state championship uh, the running back averaged 250 yards a game that year until he got to us and he had 56. And now he's in the NFL Hall of Fame and we held him in check. So I'm like, hey, that's cool. It was Thurman Thomas. Oh, wow. And, you know, the next year he won state, but I didn't care. I'd graduated so he can win all he wants. <laughs> but it was just fun because we knew what he was going to do before he did it. And by far the most challenging game we had because they were just a great bunch of athletes, man. And we were these, you know, for lack of a better term, these little rednecks hauling hay in the summer and just getting getting in shape. And so sports for me was an identity early in my life. And I know that's not right now because I'm 58 and I get it. But back then that helped me be the kid I was supposed to be. And if I couldn't play the game, I wanted to coach the game. And I ended up in Big Lake and I got a group of kids who everybody was down on. We're not supposed to win, coach. People come through here on their way to somewhere else. And so I did the best I could with these kids. I, you know, baseball is my love. And I've met Hank Aaron. I got to hang out with Hank Aaron. And I've got to see all these ball players through the years. But history is not what these kids needed at that time. They didn't need to know that we've been through wars, recessions, depressions, civil unrest with baseball. They needed to know that this is our family and people are going to come on our field our home and try to beat us here and we're not going to allow that and so it was just a different mindset with these kids because they had heard another coach knock them and, you know they're not even going to graduate from high school they'll be here forever and their parents are their parents are losers the kids are losers they'll never amount to anything that's not what I believe mm -hmm. and I believe if you breathe life into someone then you're giving them a chance to succeed even if their love is not your love just showing them you can dream and you can dream big and go after them. So the first season without learning much about baseball, we won 10 games. We were 10 and 0 at home. Mm -hmm. And the second season I had 63 kids come out from my baseball team. So now barely able to field a varsity. I've got a varsity, a JV and two freshman teams. My second year there, we had hired a new coach. I was on my way to practice in 1999 uh, where the movie opens up and he, he put his finger in my chest and he goes, you might be a great baseball coach, but you're always going to come in last to people like me because you're too nice. I know how to step on people to get to be where I want to be. Two of my kids are right around the corner 
and they heard it. In 90 seconds, this guy destroyed two years of work. Wow. And so as the movie opens up right after the nuns, we get run ruled 15 to one and 15 to zero. And what came out of that was a challenge. And I like to push the people that I coach. And I always push myself as an athlete. And I know that when you put those boundaries up and you go, how far can we go with the talent that we have? And what can we do to improve ourselves in one particular area every single day? We're going to make ourselves better. What is that going to be? And so I stood on home plate as I sent my kids down the left field line. I just said, God, how can I show these kids I love them? How can I, how can I push them without breaking them? How can I get these kids in this little bitty West Texas town to dream when everybody else is down on them? And the answer was so quick and so simple. It was go down there and teach them what your grandparents taught you. So out of that, the bet was born. Mm-hmm. And if we win a district championship coach, you try out. Now, here's the deal. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm 35. People are getting out of baseball right now. Mm-hmm. I've already tried to play minor league ball. I had six surgeries in five and a half years. I gained 60 pounds. I look like a baseball scout, not a baseball player. I know, yeah, at 28, I had a surgery in which the doctor said, you'll never, ever pitch again physically impossible. Can't be done. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm talking to the kids and they're challenging me, they're like, coach, why are you telling us to chase our dreams if you're not willing to do it yourself? And I said, well, you're 18. You need to shut up. And <laughs> you know, they start giggling. I start giggling. And I said, what do you have in mind? Well, if we win, you try out. And I said, just because you win a few games, I'm not going to go embarrass myself or nothing. What if we win a district championship, which these kids have never been a part of in baseball? If we win a district championship, you try out. So for another 20 minutes, I argued about every reason I should never step back on a professional mound. And after 20 minutes, I did what every parent in this country does. I caved in. If you win, I'll find a tryout somewhere. In the back of my mind, I'm going, you are old and fat, and you have now become the punchline. And But if it got the kids to play better, I can embarrass myself for a few minutes. I just want to draw out of them what I knew was there, but they hadn't realized it yet. And so we can, we can correct people every step of the way and say, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. And all they're going to hear is not. But if we tell someone that they can and they will, then they will start believing that they can and they will, and they will go out and be successful and they'll put in the time to get better and they'll want to help their teammates out. So they'll do whatever it takes, extra ground balls, extra fly balls, extra mound sessions, extra hitting practice. And I was in it with these kids the whole way. Now, when we made the bet, they couldn't hit, hit me at all. I'd throw batting practice, they'd whiff. By the end of the season, after we'd made the bet, I can't get high school kids out. We're fixing to win a district championship, and I'm going, they're going to win, and I can't get high school kids out. That is more embarrassing than I thought. <laughs> and then we get down by two runs in a championship game. They score six. We hold the other team to zero. We win. Best sight I've ever seen. They're hugging each other. They're hugging their parents. They're hugging the trophy. And I'm like, they're smiling. They're celebrating an accomplishment that not even they thought they could accomplish. And here they are. Mm-hmm. And right away, as I go back and start the bus, I'm looking out. These kids celebrate. And everything my grandparents taught me for the three years I was in high school came back. It's not about me. It's about we. What can we do to make it better? What can we do to improve our situation? 
what can we do to be successful? What can we do to dream? Mm. And it was all right there in front of me. And, and then I forgot about the bet. And so as I'm watching these kids celebrate, uh, my second baseman, Whack, comes and hops up on the top step of the bus. He's my team clown. I had tears in my eyes because I'm so happy for these kids. And he mm. sees me and he starts giggling, right? I'm like, mm. shut up. And he giggles at me. And then he pulls a ball from out behind his back. He had Reagan County Owls District, 1-2-A champs, 1999. Everybody signed it. I cry. He hugs me around the neck and he goes, we did our part. Now it's your turn. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I forgot about that. And three months after the bet, they won a district championship. Three months after that, I'm in the big leagues, all because of a group of kids. I never, ever would have gone back to baseball. But because the relationship that we forged, it was trust. Mm -hmm. And we were going to push each other to be better. We weren't going to tell each other what we were doing wrong. How can we get better? And those kids bought in. And so the, the whole thing was amazing. And the fact that I got a second chance because of a group of teenagers kind of dispels the fact that the youth are terrible. The youth are horrible. They're not going to amount to anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they can. And we can rise to the occasion or we can lower ourselves to the occasion, but that choice is ours. Mm -hmm. I wanted these kids to rise to the occasion. And in return, they wanted me to rise to the occasion. And I did not forever be grateful. Mm. Man, what an amazing story, Jim. And I appreciate you, you know, just sharing that with our audience. Um, and I agree with you a hundred percent when you say speaking that life into our children, uh, I get this all the time, Jim, when I talk to other men, other fathers, other linemen, you know, with the youth, and they all say the same thing. Oh, this generation, just generation, they're lazy. They didn't have to do this. They didn't have to do that. They don't want to work, you know, but I see, and I agree with what you say. We need to be able to speak life into them because obviously somewhere, some way along, along their path of life, there is a disconnection to where they never received that to where yeah. they didn't have that life breathed into them to where now their identity is surrounded, but I'm not good enough. You'll never be good enough. Yeah. Right. So I think we need to change that narrative the way you did by giving them a hand up, not a handout. And by being able to tell them, Hey man, come on, let's do this. We got this. We got this together. I like how you mentioned we, there's no I in team, right? Yeah. So with that, we we're going to show them to grow them. Correct. Exactly. And uh, that, 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 that's, that's amazing, brother. I mean, I think if more fathers, more men, more husbands, more leaders, more mentors would do that, I think we'd start changing this narrative of this next generation being lazy and not wanting to work. Yeah, I think a few bad apples give everybody a bad name. Mm -hmm. But who, who people are now is not who they will be. Yes. And our job is to improve that slot and not, not degrade it any and not tell people, oh, yeah, you are a loser. and You're never going to mount anything. Because that sticks with you. Mm -hmm. And even when you're being successful, those negative thoughts are going to come in your head. And our job is to breathe life into our future. And I remember walking into my grandparents' house. This was my father's parents, mm -hmm. a father who was physically and verbally abusive, who held on to my little brother one day as he looks down at me and goes, this is the one we wanted. We never wanted you. As I got older, I never wanted another kid to have to hear that. You had 
a child and that's not good enough for you. Whatever lot in life you're living, you're doing it wrong. Because if all you can do is make excuses for something before it ever gets there, you're already lost. And so when I walk into my grandparents' house, I'm like, this is my dad's parents. He's going to be, they're going to be just like him. When I walked in, I had two rules in my grandparents' house. If you do it, own it. Own it, live up to it, move on. And number two, tell the truth. Because you don't have to remember what you said when, the, when you tell the truth. Because the truth is the truth. Those were my grandparents' rules for a 15-year-old who could have fallen off the rails. And they were like, not on our watch. Wow. No, and those are amazing. It, it, it's, it's amazing to see the contrast between your grandparents and then your father, the way he treated you. Like, where do you think the disconnection was there for him? You know, I don't know. He had a brother. His brother is like the perfect combination of my grandparents. Mm -hmm. Looks like him, talks like him. I just incredible. My father has always hated the world. He always hated himself. Mm. And I think the insecurity that he had, he wanted to try to get rid of it. And so he put it out on everybody else to try to get rid of it mm -hmm. and try to make them feel less than they were and make himself feel better. We're not ever going to accomplish anything that way, except we're not going to have very many friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of times shame, whenever we feel shamed, you know, as men, we tend to act out in anger. I know I did whenever I feel shame or whatever, it's almost like you don't want that spotlight on you and the things that you've done. So you start pointing the finger and blaming, well, what about you? You did this, you did this. And it's just to get that light off ourselves. Cause right at that moment, that bright light, like being on stage is shining on you and it's making you uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. But uh, I, I like what you said, Jim, about relationships and how you had that relationship with your, with your, with the kids you coached and it was forged through that adversity. I think that that's a, a, a major thing right now. Um, I have some great relationships with a lot of men that I've gone through certain things with, even just talking on podcasts and just finding something relational with each other. You know what I mean? Like I was a victim of a violent crime. Then I talked to another father and we can relate with each other. You know what I mean? I think that's important. And I think that's why our stories like your story and my story are important because we can get out here on this platform, talk about it, talk like men, and then it'll transcend and help other people that are going through the same exact thing. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, we need men to be fathers is what we need. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, talk about drawing the best out of people. Okay. Um, you talked about how you got to teach them that, you got to teach them that they can believe in themselves and drawing out that, that thing in them. How do you recognize something great in a child or even in another person? I think by the expectations that mm -hmm. you set. And I think if you expect a good performance and that's what you're going to get, if you expect a bad performance, you're going to get that. I think teaching kids to think positively and wanting them to grow and become better themselves because you know my grandfather said this one thing it's always stuck with me he goes your dream right now may not be the dream you end up loving the most mm -hmm. you may find another dream on your way to the one you thought you wanted and this one's way better and just 
he had those little things all the time. He would talk to me and built me up. He didn't tear me down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things he said, he goes, you're not going to be able to throw the ball hard forever. What are you going to do then? And it wasn't so much the things that he said at that time from 15 to 18. It was the way he lived because we can give good lip service to whoever, but kids are going to watch the behavior. And if it doesn't match the words, they're not going to listen to you. But if you build them up and you show them you're going to live the right way, and you're living by what you teach, they will buy in. And I did it with my grandparents. Those kids did it with me. And now my kids are doing it, hopefully, with my granddaughters. And our job is to build up, not tear down. We've had enough tearing down in this country. No, amen. Those are words to live by for sure. Um, I see that even with my daughter when she calls me out on something that I told her to do, you know, she's, she's just, she's my mirror image. I mean, same exact hard headed, (laughs) never give up, you know, type of mentality. And, uh, she'll challenge me. She'll be like, okay, dad, why are you eating in your room? You already said there's no eating. And it's like, uh, do what I say, not what I do. You know what I mean? (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's awesome to, have them be able to keep you accountable, you know? Exactly. But that and means- I think one of the, one oh, of the things ahead. my grandparents talked about was surround yourself with the best people. Mm. Because if you surround yourself with people who are talented and smart, then you're going to want to be that way too. If you mm. hang out with someone who wants to drag you down and go, hey, we don't need to go to practice today. Hey, we don't need to do our homework. Let's go- do this and let's just go do something else. They're taking you away from your focus. And when you get away from your focus, you lose sight of what your dreams are. And our jobs as adults, as fathers, is to breathe life in, not take it away. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Um, my father used to always tell me, you are who you hang with. And uh, exactly. or, or another one of the things you would always tell me is, uh, show me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. And, um, it's, it's absolutely true. Um, even with my daughter, I have to teach her how to see through the lines. Right. And what I mean by that is a lot of times people will come to you with ill will intentions and like you talked lip service. Mm -hmm. So I have to teach her how to see their fruit right? What is the fruit in their life? If they're talking this and, and, and saying this stuff, but their life isn't in alignment with what they're saying, yeah. you'll know that person, you know? And uh, that's one of the things I'm trying to really, really exercise with her. That way she can read between the lines with people's intentions and stuff like that. Um, I think it's important, you know? Um, another thing too with her is I'm allowing her to make these decisions, okay? I'll ask her three things. I'll be like, okay, so Nakota, how does this person make you feel? You know, does this person have it, the best interest for you? You know, um, and, and if so, what have they shown you? You know, and it gets them really to think. And I think that as fathers, we need to ask those important questions and be able to frame them in a way that they could understand. So yeah. that, that, that's truly helpful. You know, uh, my grandfather had this saying every day I left his house. He had a menswear store in Brownwood, Texas, population 20,000, but people came in from all over the country to buy suits from him, not because so much of the quality of the clothes, but because of the quality of the man himself. Hmm. 
And he looked at, he goes, I'm not selling menswear, I'm selling me. And if I get people to buy into me, then they're gonna be more receptive to other things. And so every day I left his house to go to school, he would go remember who you are and whose you are. And that just stuck with me. And he goes, cause you can't hide from whose you are. And so if you want people watching you and remember everybody's watching nowadays, everybody's got a camera, they don't matter. The good Lord matters mm. and he sees all. And do we fail? Do we falter? Absolutely. But do we dust ourselves off and get after it again and try to be better? Yes. Every time. Mm, mm. No, you're absolutely right. Who's you are, know who's you are, and you'll know who you are. I think that helps with uh, men's identities too these days. You know, so many times we associate who we are with our job or our title. At the end of the day, that doesn't even matter. You know, what matters is what they think of you as far as what you portray yourself to be, you know, your, your character, right? Let that shine through. And what is character? Character is doing the right thing when no one's looking. That's what I teach my children, right? Taking the high road. Mm-hmm. Taking the high road. We'll even do that with our hikes. They'll be like, oh, it's easier this way. I was like, no, let's take the high road and we'll go through mm-hmm. the <laughs> crazy, crazy little route there. You know, um, everything's training. Yeah. The rookie training. is not my identity. That's just something I did. Mm-hmm. I am a child of God. And my job is to bring other people closer to that. And I don't have to beat them over the head with it. I'm not a religious nut. But I can say one thing, do another, and then everything is wiped out mm-hmm. just by that. But if I say something and then I do what I'm saying, people want to live up to that. They don't want to live down to that. And so you're bringing people with you. Surround yourself with the best to be your best because those people want to see you succeed for no other reason than they want to see somebody else go further than what they thought they could. Mm. That was my grandparents teaching to me. And, and, you know, I, I, I like that. I I like that they actually instilled those values in you. Um, I remember being asked one time by a, a good friend of mine, a foreman, and he's like, oh, these, these, these Christians, you know, he's, he's a lineman too. And he's like, these Christians, he's like, oh, they're nothing but hypocrites and saying we're going to go to hell and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And I looked at him, I was like, well, I'm a believer. And he's like, you're a believer. I was like, yeah. He's like, well, are you going to tell me I'm going to hell and throw a Bible at me? I was like, absolutely not. Why would I do that? I'm no different than you. I told him. Yeah. I was like, the only difference is I know that I need help. And I finally found a place where I can go to, to receive that help. Cause I've tried everything. I've tried drugs. I've tried alcohol. I've tried pornography. I've tried failed relationships, uh, fighting, everything, everything possibly, you know? And um, for me, it was turning to Jesus Christ and uh, allowing him to take that burden off of me, you know? And, he just looked at me and I was like, I was like, that's it. And he's like, that's it. And I was like, yeah, that's it. I was like, there's no difference between me, me and you. He just, I just know where I'm going at the end of the day. And he just yeah, kind of smirked, you know. <laughs> Here's the deal that I tell people too. If they want to get ugly about me being a Christian or having faith. Mm-hmm. If I'm wrong, I'll just be in the ground and rot. Yep. 
But if I'm right, that's what we're all striving for. And I'll tell you how I got there. My grandfather, who was this big, strong, healthy man, Mm -hmm. uh, came into contact with a chemical during World War II. And it took a long time to get to him. And it started in a trip in a, with a trip in the store one day. And he hopped up and acted like nothing was wrong. But over the next six months, all these specialists, cane walker wheelchair. And I watched the healthy, strong, six foot three, 260 pound man be limited to a wheelchair. Now he led people, a community and a state on his shoulders when he was healthy. I watched the same man do that from a wheelchair. And when you can do that, you're living the right way. Do you have something awful? Absolutely. Is it fair? I don't know what fair is. It just is what it is. Mm-hmm. But he dealt with that disease. It was ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm-hmm. He dealt with that disease with character, grace, and dignity. He never complained. And it was amazing. He and I are sitting in the kitchen one night. And he's hooked up to oxygen. He's in a wheelchair. He's stooped over. He's got clay in his left hand trying to keep some movement in it. I'm 18. I got my whole life in front of me. And I look at him and I think of the ugliest thing I can say because I think this is not fair. You're telling me about God and everything God can do. Well, why is God letting such a good man suffer all this misery? And so I I thought of the ugliest thing I could throw at my grandfather. And when I came back with, I'll throw his faith at him. I said, why did God do this to you? Why didn't he give this disease to somebody who deserved it? And at 18, you know, you got like a list of people who you think deserve it. Yeah. And, and my grandfather took in some oxygen. He looked at me the best he could and said, son, I've worked my whole life to get to where I'm going. Where are you headed? Never complained. And he still was teaching me in that position, probably the most important lessons I would ever learn. God is God. We got free will for a reason. Mm-hmm. And our mistakes are our mistakes and we own them. And whatever happens, God's not making it right and God's not making it wrong. It's just life. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot better with God in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's what I always tell a lot of people too. It's like, man, God didn't do this. That wasn't his will for you. And the promise in the Bible is that he's going to see you through it because life happens. You know, I had a past guest on here. Um, and uh, one of the things his mom used to tell him, you know, if you lose your job, you know, life happens. And he'd go, shit, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what his mom would say. You know, he's a, he's a, he's an awesome guy. And uh, anyhow, it, that, 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 that holds true. It's stuff's going to happen to you. And we can't just be pointing the blame on this person did this or this or, or going into that victim mentality that your grandfather sh- didn't show at all. I mean, there is no yeah. victim mentality there. Um, no. I, I see that a lot today. I see people always wanting to put blame on other people and carry that victim mentality. Um, and I think that hinders you a lot. I mean, that, that stops you from growing. It, it stops you from becoming who you're meant to become. And uh, that's something we need to avoid at all costs. Absolutely. It makes us, um, everything's about excuses Mm -hmm. and not blessings. And once we start making excuses, we'll excuse everything. And, Mm. oh, I screwed up. Well, that's just me. That's just how it is. No, I want to be better. I want to get better. I want to do the right thing. Am I going to make mistakes? Yeah. One perfect person ever walked the planet and it's not us 
Mm -hmm. I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be the best I can be. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to be the best Einstein. Einstein was Einstein. I have to be the best Jim Morris I can be. The grandson of Alice and Ernest Morris. The husband of Shauna. The father of five kids. Because they're looking at me to see how I'm going to live my life. And if I make excuses, they will too. Mm, yes, they do. They watch you every step of the way. Um, I think now today, right? Labels. Everybody has a label for everything. And that's going back to that victim mentality. Oh, I, my son can't pay attention. Okay, well, help him to focus. You know, take away that device. You know, get in there and help them read. Little boys need structure. I, I've even seen that with my kids. I mean, I was rambunctious back in the day. And if, if, if it would have been today's society, they would have put me on Ritalin and they would have put me hyperactive uh, deficit disorder, whatever it is, right? And um, I think right now people are quick to put labels on people and you got to be careful with what you identify with. You know, when you're saying, okay, I have a learning disability, I have this, I have that, that you're receiving that death, you're receiving that label that's being put on you. Now that's becoming a part of your identity. And we got to be careful what we say and what we receive as people, especially as fathers, we have a tremendous amount of influence over our families, over the trajectory of their lives, everything. And when we're speaking death, not life, like we spoke about, we're actually causing damage to our children and the way they think about themselves, you know? We're teaching them to be smaller than what God wants them to be. Mm -hmm. Wow. No, I like that. I like that. We are, we, we do, we limit them. We put that cap on them, you know? Um, one of the things I always tell my children is I don't want to tell them they can be anything, right? Because let's face it, there's, there's certain things that you're just not going to be able to do. Okay. But what I want to do is I want to identify their strengths, what they're good at, what their passions at. And I want to build in that direction. Yeah. One of the things that I heard, which I thought was absolutely amazing is find yourself what you love, right? What you are passionate about in life. And the way to do that is what upsets you. Like if there's something that really upsets you or something that motivates you, that's your passion. Okay. And when you identify that, run with it and try to learn how to make money off of it or go into a field where you can make a living off of it. Right. And uh, that's, a, that's what I try to teach my kids, you know, as fathers. I know this. I never thought I was going to be smart enough to go to school and get a degree. Mm -hmm. And my counselor told me, you better play baseball because you're too stupid to go to college. Well, then they label you. Mm -hmm. So then you believe it. Mm -hmm. And then you go to college, you find out, no, wait a minute. I'm not dumb at all. And that got me a degree. Mm -hmm. Getting that degree allowed me to work with kids. Working with kids got me back to my dream that I'd wanted since I was five doing that. Let somebody play me in a movie who has made over a hundred movies now and led me into a career of speaking, which I never, ever 
saw myself doing. I'm not going to talk in front of people. I can't even talk to a classroom full of kids. That's why I write everything on the board. And now here I am speaking, you know, the 10 people or 25,000 people. It doesn't matter. It's made me comfortable. The bigger the crowd, the more I like it because I like a challenge. Mm -hmm. You like a challenge. We all like challenges. Why not challenge our kids? They're not going to die if you take that cell phone away. Fact is, they're probably going to get in less trouble. Mm. Take away the distractions so we can focus on the dreams. Wow. I've never heard that like that. I know I, I knew about the distractions, stuff like that, but that is amazing. Take away the distractions so they can focus on the dreams. Yeah, that that is something I need to really, really start implementing with my with my kids as well, you know, because it's true. I mean, everything's right there at their fingertips. I mean, your kid's acting up. What do you do? You suffice them by giving them a device. Here you go. Here you go. And that's I had a past guest talk about how these devices are actually a form of isolation because now these kids and even adults, they don't have to have a relationship anymore because why they're so infused with this device. It's taking away all relational uh, aspects right because now they're so super focused they can't even lift their head up for one second to see what's even happening around them and life is passing them by and how depressing is that he talked about how that is the new isolation of america is these devices and you see it when you go into a restaurant you see father mother children all on a device no one's talking that never used to happen back in the day used to have a round table discussion which i still implement in my household and, you know, you'd see people talking, communicating, seeing how their day went and stuff like that. And you don't really see that anymore. And I think we need to get back to those old school, which I call roots, you know? Yeah. We're fake living. We're living vicariously through what we think other people are doing. Mm-hmm. But all they're putting out there is what they want out there. They're not putting out there everything. Mm, yeah. It is just a, it's a vicious circle. And I, I heard from a person who's very knowledgeable in this that mm-hmm. by the time my grandkids grow up they'll be so used to this stuff that it's not going to be like that anymore they'll just be like oh that's just another tool for me to use that's not something to lose myself in mm-hmm. and the only way to change it to jim is to start instilling these values that your grandparents taught you right passing them on passing them on and these these are things that over the course of time, hopefully we can change that next generation. I, I'm a big believer in raising the next generation. That's our slogan on Instagram and stuff like that. And we just didn't get where we're at today. Last night, this is a slow <laughs> burn, right? It's, 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 it's subtle, subtle compromises that we have done as fathers. Cause, and I, and I blame fathers. I'm hard on fathers because I'm a father and I know what I've done. You know, and, you know, I, I'm mad enough to say, Hey man, I made some mistakes, you know, and I need to correct this stuff because I don't want my kids growing up that way. And I think if more fathers are involved and aware of these things, future generations, it's going to get back to being the way it should be. Right. If, if, if we continue forward, you know, right. now I wanted to ask you, Jim, you talked about hanging out with Hank Aaron. How was that, man? You know, it was a childhood dream because mm-hmm. I got to watch him when he was with 
the Milwaukee Braves. Mm-hmm. They came into Boston. I lived in Connecticut at the time. My all-star team got to go to Fenway and watch Hank Aaron play. He signed a baseball for us. Mm-hmm. I sandlotted Hank Aaron's baseball. You live in Connecticut. It snows. You run out of baseballs. You grab the next one. It was Hank Aaron's ball. So when the movie comes out, Russell Athletics is an advertiser in the rookie. And so I got to ring the closing bell with Hank Aaron. And I'm telling him this story. And, and in my eyes, I'm looking at this man who broke all sorts of barriers and went out every single day and played to the best of his ability, going through things that we will never understand because we weren't in his shoes. Mm-hmm. And he did it at the highest level. He did it the right way. And he didn't complain. That is a character right there. Mm-hmm. That is someone we need to be like. And so I'm telling him all this. I'm like, I sand lauded your ball. <laughs> and he just starts laughing. He slaps me on the back. And he goes, that is one of the best stories I've ever heard. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, but you're Hank Aaron. Dude, you're a home run king. And just, it was great meeting someone that I idolized as a kid because I liked the way he went about his business every day. He didn't show us how not to live. He showed us how to live. Mm. And I think that's what we need, uh, uh, you know, our kids need, and even us, you know, the inner child, we, we need those heroes. Yeah. And now we live in a day and age where we're, and I know people probably going to get upset, but we're idolizing drug dealers and all these other bad characters, right? We're putting them up on this pedestal. Well, what about Hank Aaron? I mean, here's a man who didn't compromise, yeah. you know, even when he had this great adversity thrown against him, you know, he was a, he was a African-American, you know, in a league where that was frowned upon. And here we have him not compromising, just showing up to work, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And that's what he did. He showed up to work and that is someone who should be monumentalized and and looked up as as a hero because he did it right absolutely absolutely you know i think we need more of those in our our society you know i don't it's it's crazy how everything's just upside down right now jim it really is is. totally backwards good is bad and bad is good and you know all these different things you know all these agendas that are going on and now my grandfather taught me this important lesson one day this lady comes into the store and she's got on overalls and boots. It's obvious she has a pig farm because of the smell of the boots. All the men my grandfather's age, who were the salesmen, didn't want to wait on her. He sees this from his office. He gets up, he, he walks out, he treats her like she should be treated. Mm-hmm. And before she left the store, she bought 15 suits for every male in her family, paid in cash. And when he walked back by me, he said, don't ever judge anybody by the cover he goes you got to get to know the heart he goes there are two types of people good and bad and that's it doesn't matter color doesn't matter what language there are people who want to make the world better and there are people who want to make the world worse hang out with the people who want to make the world better Mm, i like that yeah hang out with the people that want to make the world better and help you become that person too you know um I've read where they said, if you hang around with five successful people, you're going to be that six person who's successful, right? And it's just that contrast of hanging out with the wrong crowd versus the crowd that has your best interest, you know what I mean, in mind. 
um, it, it's, it's so important, you know, and um, fathers, if you're listening, please pay attention to who your children are hanging out with. As you can tell through the, the stories that Jim has shared with us and my stories, it's so important to know what's going on in the lives of your kids. Don't fall asleep at the will. You guys are so important to them in their development and they're looking at you. So not only just tell them, like Jim said, we need to live it as well. Kids are a gift. They're not mm. an excuse. Our job is to bring our kids up in a way that makes the Lord joyful. And we're not doing that. We're falling asleep at the wheel. I'm as guilty as anybody else. I've made mistakes. I'll own them. My job is to get up, dust myself off, and do it better next time. And one of the things that I do with my kids, even though they're all grown now, mm. if I make a mistake and I do something wrong, I own it. And I tell my kids, I said, that, that was not right. I should not have done that. I should not have said that. I need to do better and then go about doing it better. And they can see that and they're like, well, if he can own his mistakes and I can own mine. You know, there are a lot of things that we go through in life. And if we had more time to talk, Dave, I could tell you a lot. I've been in rehab mm -hmm. at 51, turning 52. Uh, the doctors told me my Parkinson's was going to get worse. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So they've got me on pain pills. That's mm -hmm. not working. So I start drinking because I, I'm a doctor. You know, I've squeezed four years of school into 12. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm doing. I ended up in rehab. And for the first time in my life at 51, I turned 52 while I was there. I got to concentrate on that little Jimmy who had so much stuff done to him that was so wrong when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. who wasn't able to recognize the good people that I'd had in my life that wanted to make me better. And now I got to take all that into account. And so I got, I got to clear the floor and God and I got down, we got dirty. And he said, you know what? I got more stuff for you to do. Let's get busy. And Dave, I'll tell you this. I left there, got a group of ladies at my church who pray for me. I call them my girls. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be called ma'am. They're all 50 to 90. They're my girls, mm -hmm. but they've prayed for my wife and I through all of this 70 some odd surgeries. And I don't have Parkinson's anymore. And a lot of people go, how could you say you had Parkinson's? Well, I was diagnosed by the main specialist in the world who told me that I had CTE induced Parkinson's. So I had Parkinson's. I had two brain surgeries, one to have a brain stimulator put in and then one to have it taken out. And if God can make good use of me, he can make good use of all of us because none of us are perfect. Man, thank you for sharing that, Jim. I, I appreciate you opening up. It takes a courageous man to be able to talk about, you know, addictions and, and whatnot. Um, and once again, man, just thank you for coming on. Um, this is such a great interview with you and just you being just so transparent and being able to share your knowledge to our audience. I, I highly appreciate you. And I uh, look forward to talking to you more. I appreciate that. And thank you for having me on. And you know what? One person at a time, one step closer to God. Amen. I agree. Thank you, Jim. Yes, sir.